0: Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle, medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins, and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned, we're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey everybody, Dr. Dad's coming at you today. This is Dr. David, Dr. Nicholas. Hello,
1: brother. How are you?
0: I'm great, man. I'm enjoying the, the storm you sent
1: my way. We're getting some snow today. I told you last week we get snow here. It's the least we could do. Hey, guess what? I'm on day five of my water fast, and I'm feeling the energy surge through my veins right I, I now.
0: Can s- you're glowing. I am. You glow- I see yeah. it right now. <laughs> it's
1: I, also I, really hot in my room right now. <laughs> <laughs> I t- I oh, that's you. the glow. That's <laughs> the actually glow. the glow. <laughs> my staff turned up the temperature in, in our clinic, and I'm like, I had to pull the sweater off. I mean, I'm just, I'm baking in, in, in here. I, it's like we we're setting up a sauna in our in our lab, as you know, but I feel like it's kind of happening right now for me. So that's no, why I got gotta, some water before the call. So yeah, you got to hydrate cheers. there. Cheers.
0: So, hey, we both have kids. They're not teenagers yet, but we're going to be there very soon. And uh, I remember I was probably not the funnest teenager for my parents. And it was probably a little, there were some rough spots there, right? I mean, we all we all got to kind of create awareness and educate ourselves on that stage, not only for us as parents, but also for children. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. So today's
0: guest, um, I I got to read quite a bit of her book and. This is a really neat book. This is her third book. Uh, this is Dr. Christine Carter. She has a PhD, and she's the author of The Sweet Spot and Raising Happiness. And we're going to talk about her new book and some other cool stuff today called The New Adolescence: Raising Happy and Successful Teens in the Age of Anxiety and Distraction. So real quick about Dr. Carter, a sociologist and senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. Carter draws on the latest scientific research in psychology, sociology, and neuroscience and uses her own real-world experiences to give parenting, productivity, and happiness advice. A sought-after keynote speaker and coach, Dr. Carter also teaches online classes that help people live their most fulfilling lives. She lives with her husband, four teenagers, and dog, Buster, in Marine County, California. Dr. Christine Carter, thank you for coming on today.
2: I'm so happy to be here.
1: It's amazing. I mean, last week, we just had an amazing discussion with a psychiatrist who works in sort of like acute care trauma for, for kids. And so I love that this conversation is happening next uh, because it's sort of like the next piece of the puzzle that people need to learn so yeah big big uh thank you for coming on the show today um david take it away buddy so i got to dip into your book and i have tons of questions for you
0: but before we get started on all that can you share a little bit with us you've been on a, a, a bit of a journey with your research and I think you kind of coming up with this framework that you give so eloquently in your book and God, it's so detailed. I love it. It's like you gave an answer for every kind of like problem we'd run into as parents, right. For teenagers. So, but I I really like the framework that you set up for it of helping the parent understand what role they're going to play and that these roles are changing, not just for the, the child, but also for the parent and having to step into that. Uh but I mean let's go back and just tell me a little bit of how you've put this all together.
2: Yeah, well listen, I have four kids and they're all teenagers right now. Mm-hmm. So um I tend to write the books that I need. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that framework you're talking about, you know, I'm too bossy for most kids, <laughs> much less teenagers. And um and so I had to sort of figure it out. Like it, you know, it's not very effective to just micromanage your um, teenagers, for on a lot of reasons. One, because they um, will, as we all know, teenagers from for eons have pushed um, back against the authority. Their job is to individuate, and so um, as they're trying to gain autonomy from you, if you're telling them everything that they need to do, they will just do the opposite, right? <laughs> because it makes them feel independent to reject your fabulous, wise ideas. Um, so I needed to find a different way to to do it, and um, this book was so fun for me to write and to kind of road test all the research because I because I'm a sociologist, so I have um, been looking at the neuroscience and the psychology and the sociology related to how families um, sort of create the structure, the habits, or and the routines and the things that kids need um, in order to really thrive. So I've been looking at this research for 20 years. And, um, and it's, but it's a whole different deal, as I'm sure you know, to take the research and then apply it to your own kids, and your own, and your own self, your own behavior. So for me, um, this was, this was a pretty fun one. And it required a a little more practice for me.
1: That's amazing and and I had no doubt, you know, 3 quarters of that those 20 years were we're just in in training, in-house training with with your own kids, right?
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. Well, like I just look up the things that I need to figure out because you're like, yeah. cuz and I'm a big reader of obviously of blogs and parenting books and stuff, but um but you know, when Nothing like one of your own children rubbing up against you to like realize that you don't know what you're doing. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so for me, the reason that the book is so specific is because um, I, well, for two reasons. One, I had to sort of write out the script for myself, like what would be ideal? We know my natural tendency is to just tell them what to do. <laughs> so what would be better than that? Right. And I have to actually sort of plan it out for myself. And once I've done that for me, it comes much more easily, right? Like I'm, 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 I'm able to shift my behavior, um, pretty easily because I'm so engaged in the material, but then I had to figure out how to get my husband <laughs> to shift his way of doing things. Cause I mean, he's even bossier than I am. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I had to be very convincing and make it really simple. And, um, and memorable for myself
1: and, and that's what comes through in your book too right is it, it's this isn't a book for necessarily practitioners but it's a book for everybody right and so you yeah, can apply you know, this right it's away it's a
2: book for parents and teachers and anybody who's trying to motivate or influence teenagers and you know i mean a, a huge part of it is that the world is really different than it was a generation ago or even 10 years ago when i wrote raising happiness and so you know a lot of this is like okay we still need to parent them in these virtual worlds in which they're way out ahead of us but just because like we don't totally understand tiktok or whatever wherever they're spending time online that doesn't mean that they still don't need the support and structure of parenting like they're still adolescents Mm -hmm. right um they 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 can't go unparented in these other worlds that they don't see as like really distinct from their everyday lives.
1: It's funny when you said TikTok, I'm like, I'm not that at that stage yet in parenting. I'm like, oh. I, we know like <laughs> Marvel Avengers and stuff like that, but right, right.
2: <laughs> Minecraft. That like, now yeah. not like all the different like every year there's a new social media found right. and um, and you can't learn to use them all. Like, at my first. My first attempt at it was like, okay, well, this is like teaching kids to drive. You have to, I'm going to learn how to, u- I'm going to use Snapchat and I'm going to learn how it all is, works. And then I will watch my children. I will monitor them on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And they were very quick to be like, wow, that's really not going to work. <laughs> so, you know, like, so we... You know, there, there are other ways to deal with social media because your kids are going to be out ahead of you on a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, I, I just read that almost a quarter, 24% of middle schoolers, sixth through eighth graders have received a sexed um, pornographic picture of mm. one of their peers, from, wow. like, of somebody that they know and um then another uh 12 have pat have sent one either of themselves or of somebody else that they know to somebody else that they know right like this is not something we had (laughs) when i was in middle school middle school seems so young to me right so i was constantly like weighing this like oh my god we have to talk about this now too (laughs)
0: That's so true. You know, we grew up in the, I can't, I'm trying to wrap my head around what you just said. I mean, I think I got my first cell phone when I was starting college, like at 18 yeah. years old. And that was probably around 2000. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you look, I mean, I've seen kids younger than middle school have cell phones already. So yeah, I mean, I, th- that's one of the things I like about the book is like you're, you're under, parenting has, has changed. It's evolved wow. and it's, and it's, ha- and it has to. And you can't go off these old school ways of thinking anymore. And and you brought a lot of that to the book. So let's, can we start a little bit there on, you know, we do live in this massive age of anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. and there's just so much going on, right? So one of the things you talk about is how teenagers are starting to kind of step into that individuality and create themselves and the, the the parent having to really look at ego and having to look at, that you know your success not your child's success and having to separate all that and step into that can you talk a little bit real quick about when that role probably needs to start like what to look out for when that that role those roles need to start changing and then how parents move into that in this day and age
2: i think for for sure so so the the big move um, during adolescence is and we'll talk about when that will be is um, is from really managing your kids to becoming more of a consultant. So I am definitely not the first person to have um, said that, right? But what that really means is not um, disengagement. I, I've seen a lot of mis- misunderstanding about, about what that means. It's like, okay, well, if I'm not going to be the I've never been a helicopter parent and now I'm, you know, I can't even, now you're not even the chief of staff, right? Like you're not um, managing their lives for them or the details for them anymore. So then parents don't know what to do and they just back off. Right? So it's, it's a transition that requires equal energy and equal engagement um, from um, being somebody who is like making their appointments for them and getting them to school on time and all the managing kinds of things. It's a slow transition into um, letting them manage all of those things uh, themselves with your support and your structure, right? So I think of like the parenting that we do is From a structural standpoint, we're just—it's—it's like building scaffolding for them that we're slowly removing. They're not going to need all of that—that scaffolding. So by the time they um, graduate from high school, for example, my kids have to have like transportation down, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and uh, and so that's one thing, you know, managing their own screen time. Is another thing. Having, I mean, there's a long list of things in the book that, that we make this transition um, from, but it doesn't mean like, okay, I'm not doing your laundry anymore, you're on your own. Actually, that's a bad example because kind of you could do that with laundry, you could be like, it's all yours. Good luck. <laughs> Being able to do your own laundry is a huge predictor of success in college, which is so <laughs> hilarious to me. So, Mike, we started really early with that one. Um, Anyway, so when does this actually happen? It's, it's not like overnight. They don't turn 13 and then all of a sudden you're like, nope, you're making all your own doctor's appointments now. That's not the way it works, right? It's a, it's a transition across everything where you sort of set milestones. So um, charging their phones, for example, like when my kids first got phones, they could only use them in public places in our home. And at certain times, and they could only charge them in one particular place. And we had all of their passwords and everything. And then by the a big milestone in our family was um, by the time you turn sixteen. The goal is if you've been responsible and are showing good habits and good usage, then. Um, we don't control where you charge your phone anymore you can actually use it in your bedroom. It's a big deal in our house, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, it, like, it so. is a big
1: deal. I mean, as parents, we want to know who our kids are communicating with, how much time they're spending, you know, focused on the, the drama of, of their school life, et cetera. So it's, I, I mean, I get it. My yeah. kids are only five and eight, but I get it.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, I will tell you. So the first week, one of my kids turned 16 and she'd been doing such a good job. Like she never forgot to charge her phone outside her room. And she like, she did not need any more monitoring on any of that. Um, like, maybe the third day in she, when she had the phone in her bedroom and whatever, I, I was walking by and she, she knew I was walking by and she shouted, Oh my God, take this thing away from me. I will never go to sleep. Right? <laughs> 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 so that was like the next step. It was like, no, no, no. You have to not bring it into your room or into your bed. Right. Like she could, but that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't that I wasn't managing it. She was realizing where she needed to create a structure for herself since I had removed some of the scaffolding.
1: That's amazing. Can you, can you walk, like both Dave and I have, have young children. I'm just thinking like, that's like, teenager years are just a completely different paradigm that we haven't mentally prepared ourselves for. Or at least I haven't, I'm speaking for you, David. I don't know if you have. But can you, can you walk the listeners through like, how do you do childhood right? So that the transition from childhood and teenage years, like what are some of the things that the us as early, earlier parents uh, can do to set ourselves up for success as they move into those teenage years? Uh, and then I'd also like yeah. to talk about like someone's listening; they've got teenagers I got to deal with right now. And and if you can kind of walk us along a little bit, that would be amazing.
2: Sure. So the first thing i will say is that you're probably doing it right right like if you're engaged if you're asking these sorts of questions that's good enough right like you there there is no such thing as perfect parenting and when we get too tense about trying to be too good at what we're doing it doesn't go well with teenagers so I mean, it doesn't go well with little kids either, but like teenagers, like sniff that kind of anxiety out and shoot it down. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it is like, so the first thing you can do is practice being relaxed and engaged, right? Like, this is their journey, no matter what age they are. We do not need to freak out if they are not doing it right, if we might not be doing it right, if they're struggling, if they're in pain, it, all these things, like freaking out, our anxiety does not help them. Mm-hmm. So just practicing staying calm, even when it's hard, because it's, it's hard a lot. It's going to be hard a lot too, when uh, emotionally anyway, when they're um, teenagers, it gets a lot easier in, in other ways. Um, oh, I wanted to say something else, but I can't to remind me what the question was just yeah <laughs> so I, no no that's it.
1: first of all that first answer was amazing um because I, I i'm gonna be totally honest here there's times where I, i've got that nailed down i'm super calm they're having a, an emotional whatever and then there's other times when i realize i'm not present with my boys because i've got a list a to-do list going on in my head that i want to get done and so it's this dialogue of uh, a point where irritation raises in me and then I'm not being the parent that I want to be for them. Yeah. Like, and, uh, I hate, I like it, you know, there's their parent guilt of like, how did I, how did I lose my temperament in, in that, in that environment? So, um, yeah, maybe he speak to that and then, yeah. in you know, then that transition. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean the other, the other, the other thing I think to practice and he may or may not be, I don't know how, I I think we all vary at how good we are at this. Um, But it's really about practicing seeing them as their own person, right? right? This is like every child of every age needs to feel seen for who they are. But this really becomes very important for teenagers. If they feel like you're not seeing them, right, that their anxiety is not... Like, you know what I mean? Like if you're all caught up, if you're not present, like you were just talking about, um, you're, you're, it's impossible to really see them. Mm-hmm. And when they don't feel seen, it's like, you know, they, they just won't listen. They're, they become very, very hard to influence. Um, or to motivate, or to, I mean, you can even hear my agenda in the way that I've been that. <laughs> But it is, it. like, it's just, it's a great practice for kids of all ages that you will have to have mastered by the time they're, um, they're adolescents, and that, and, and that is to, like, to see them for who they are, and that is a separate person from you with separate goals and separate motivations and separate struggles as well, their journey, not yours, right? You have your own parenting journey. We have our parenting journeys, and we as parents get confused or at least I do between like my parenting journey and where you're going to go to college or whatever, you know, like that. Um, you know, that's just like the better that we can sort of back, you know, back our um, agenda off and Mm. see them and their existing motivations that way. Um, I, I think the better. And then from seeing, so I always use Dan Siegel's little trio of seen, safe and soothed. These are things that um, we think of the safe and soothed thing we think of with littler kids, but, um, but it really carries forward to adolescence too. If we're really seeing our teenagers, then we know what they need to feel safe. And I think one of the reasons, I mean, there are a lot of reasons and we actually understand them, but you know, they're one of the reasons that kids are so stressed and anxious and depressed these days is because they're, they're lacking in basic safety, um, in, in certain ways. And and I'm talking about psychological safety as well as physical safety. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as a parent, helping them learn how to soothe themselves, right? This is something that you do from like with, with your babies. And then we forget that even as adults, we need to be soothed, right? Mm -hmm. So this is something that um, as teenagers, we can constantly watch for. Like I have one kid, actually two of my kids are very physical and very affectionate. And so still, even though the youngest is 17, like I'm able to just like touch her very, like just soothe her with physical touch like I did when she was, uh, a little baby and other, you know, um, my oldest is, um, more reassured and feels safer and more soothed. Like if we, we call it talking her off the ledge, right? Like, you know, like you, she needs to be sort of walked through everything is going to be fine kind of conversations to soothe her.
0: Go ahead, and I bet with. Oh, I'm just thinking you have four kids, so I mean, just balancing out each of the way that you have to handle each child is probably a little bit different. There's probably a lot of variation there.
2: There uh, is there. There is a lot of variation, and that has really helped me. I mean, I was really surprised to see how different my kids were in some ways. Like, because when they were little, they they all just seemed like mini me kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just. Like I, I don't know. I, I mean, I uh, maybe I was a little too over identified with um, a couple of them anyway, and um, and so it helps to that they're all different from each other and that they're to be able, It helps me see them, right? That this is not like yes, she may look just like me, but she is not me, and it doesn't help her to over identify one way or the other.
1: Mm-hmm yeah i love that you said that david because yeah you know, i was thinking the same thing yeah and i know you got more to ask but um oh no go totally. ahead
0: man i mean i know you you have two little ones and you're already doing that i i'm a i just have one child so i'm thinking I, like it's a lot with one just to figure it out and you got to do it with four and two and um yeah. so yeah I mean, there's a huge challenge there so, you know i'm thinking right now you know a lot of people i think they have these learned behaviors from their parents maybe, and that's part of how they start parenting their kids initially. There's probably some changes there a little bit, but what do you say to parents now? Because things have changed so much now, like you're saying, we live in this very different world and we're having to deal with different things, uh, with our children. Uh, what would you say to this new new age parent? Because the the thing I like is, is I think you, you look at the, how some of these kids lives play out sometimes. And I think a lot of people don't understand that sometimes the parents playing a big role in that for maybe not handling uh, the child properly at that era of their life. Uh, did you follow me there? Is that kind of a yes. question out of that? Yes. Like, I, you know, I'm just thinking like, and, I, and not from personal experience, but you know, you just think about the route that some of these kids rebel, right. And you're wondering like, well, what's going on at home? Like, you know, what's that environment like? Are they getting what they need? And I can't help but think that like a lot of these kids that struggle, maybe it's because the the parenting and child relationship is not where there's not that cohesiveness that needs to be there so that that kid can blossom at that, at that stage of their life.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's true um our kids will be scarred by us no matter how hard we try
0: that's hard and, to swallow yeah. too right oh, i know oh, man. as you like, say that i'm like like
2: oh god <laughs> not mine actually mine will escape it because i read all the books <laughs> no just kidding i mean like really part of like the acceptance and that is not it's not that's not resignation that's sort of like we need to engage even though we're going to make mistakes. So, and if we've made mistakes, it's okay. The next best step is to engage and like do better, learn something so that we can do better. Right. Um, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm really have a first row seat to a lot of families and kids that are really struggling and always, a kid or a teenager or even a college student with, um, who's struggling with anxiety or depression or a serious mental health issue, right there. It's always a family issue, right? It's not, it's these things don't happen in a vacuum. I mean, obviously a lot is happening in our society and a lot is happening outside of the family that's affecting the mental health of our kids, but there's never a case in which, it works for the parent to be like, well, that's not my fault and I can't help, right? Like, it, 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 that, that's never a good tactic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, the, and the thing that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of parents not adapting their parenting to the new, in the new age that we're living in. And that's pretty problematic because everything is different everything is different. Everything about how they socialize, especially once they get to, to be teenagers, right? Um, everything about how they, sexu- that they have sex, how they <laughs> socialize, but, I, but it's like, I was just thinking about like these, these kids, like every, literally everything is completely different. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that we have to totally understand everything, but we do have to educate ourselves and we do have to s- still parent them even though sometimes it feels like parenting in a different language. I mean, some of the dinner table conversations that our family, for example, has had um, around sex, right? So my husband is older and he's 61. So, I mean, when he was, in, when he was a teenager, like it wasn't that, that gender was mostly binary. Like he mm-hmm. did not even, his brother was gay. And he did not even understand, like, any of the sort of complex concepts around sexuality or gender um, that, that our kids really are grappling with today. It's not just that they know it and are out ahead of us. They are totally grappling with it. So when one of our children at dinner announced that she was queer, this was, like, extremely confusing to him. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he just kept saying, well, does that mean that you're by? He kept trying to fit it into a category that he already had. And, um, you know, it was a it was a disaster in some ways and a wild success in others because it was a success because we actually had the conversation and he stayed engaged and tried to figure it out it was a disaster because of like the things that came out of his mouth. Like all the kids were like, Oh my God, you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> like like what's what wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like seriously, how can you not know what she's talking about? And, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then he like asked all kinds of like super inappropriate questions about her sexuality and like, Preferences and stuff that you would never, you would not ask people, right? Like that are not, like, especially not at dinner. Like, and she was able to be like, Yeah, no, um, that's not appropriate. <laughs> right? like, you know, so, just the fact of the conversation made it a success. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, that, that was going to go to one of my questions is that, and there's a couple questions I got on this. Um, Trying to think of what's more important right now, but um, maybe I'll go with this one. Uh, what percentage do we as parents have to? If you've got a percentage, do we have to get it right to to sort of limit oh some of the some, of the some of the damage?
2: A, Mackie. No, I know, I know, no percentage, and yeah. like that. Okay, so what I'm going to tell you?
1: Is, I'm getting I'm getting counseling right now. By the way, everyone who's listening, I love this. This is amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> You're already okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're a good enough parent. No, I mean, I think it is like I. I think the again, the most important thing is to engage. And when you notice yourself disengaging, and usually we avoid things that make us anxious. So I avoided having conversations with my kids about sex for a really long time, even though my first book was about that. Um, like, because it just made me want to like hurl myself out of a moving car. Right? Like, I just mm-hmm. felt so uncomfortable talking about all these things and. Um, everything. So, so that's like when you notice yourself disengaging, cause you're uncomfortable, that's when you're not getting it right. Right. It, it's, it's better that's to awesome. have a disastrous conversation that is super uncomfortable and you're sure you're not saying the right things than to not have the conversation at all. Right. So the, the key thing is do your best engage. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess that, that would have been a more appropriate way to ask that question, but thank you so much. That's that's perfect.
2: Um, <laughs> no, right now you have an A Just try a little bit yeah, yeah, harder. Just a little bit more. <laughs> <Just kidding.
1: clears throat> well, it does lead me in the next question, which which you brought up uh, the perfect example is you've got two parents with their own upbringing, their own reality. And that's a constant conversation to keep getting into alignment as, as parenting. Um, but I imagine you're working with some people where, let's say, the mom is getting it and really wants to implement, the dad's not, or vice versa. Like, how do you help parents come together so they're, they're in alignment and they're, they're coming as a unified connection so that that, that steadiness and how they present themselves as parent, uh, parents can be more uh, honestly felt by the kids?
2: Yeah, I, this is a hard one because all the parenting experts that I have read are like, you have to be on the same page rule. Number one, be on the same page. Well, those people have not met my husband, right? (laughs) Like he is really hard to get on the same page and especially because, I mean, he's delightful, but he's also like really strong willed and really interested in different things. And so I'm like, okay, rule number one, I'm a rule follower is we have to be on the same page and I've done all the research and know everything. So <laughs> that means you have to be on my page, right? <laughs>
1: like, Did that work for you?
2: you that <laughs> right? Like this is a daily conversation. Yeah. So it is constantly for me not being a perfectionist, right? Like being like, okay, that's not a best practice. I'm not going to tell him right in front of him. And we, and we have had to establish ways of um, disagreeing on certain things and letting the kids know that we have different stances um, on on those things. And that, that, and once your kids are teenagers, it's a little bit easier to do because you can say, we have different takes on this, right? Like these are our, these are our different stances On um, on these things, and so what do you think? What's your plan? Because you're trying to give them over, you know, give them their things anyway. So we just went through this with a um, with our son who's a junior um, who's trying to figure out like whether to take the SAT or the ACT. And my husband thinks like we just make the plan and tell him what he's going to do, and I'm like. Yeah, no, that's a bad idea Like, because he that's a lot of work and he won't do it if it's your plan, right? And so we went to him and said, okay, your dad thinks that this is the plan. And I think that you have a lot of decisions to make and I'm happy to walk you through them one at a time. So this, this conversation will be over if you're like, yep, that plan looks awesome. I'm going to do dad's plan. Or we can stay, you know, I'll stay here and we'll, we'll just answer these questions and you can then tell me what your plan is. I mean, he just looked at the plan and went, um, I, I want to answer your questions, but I want dad to leave. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> you know, little, I was the winner. I guess your listeners can't see it. I just did a little victory Yeah. Yeah, it was.
1: But
2: it, <laughs> it doesn't always go that way, and I know that I have to just back off, right? Like, it, like we, you know, we can present it, and um, you know, often the parent. I will just say this: often the parent who's given it the most thought uh, tends to have the most credibility with the kids. And that, by thought, I don't mean, like, cares the most about it, um, wants to have their finger in it the most, wants to be most involved. Uh, I mean, the parent who sort of really thought through, especially with teenagers, okay, what are their existing motivations versus my motivations? What are the, you know, all the things? Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think it's so important, like you're saying, to let the kid have their role in it. I mean, being a teenager, we're in this huge period, right, of of having more responsibilities. But it's like you're saying, like if you're not allowing them to make those decisions for all these responsibilities that they're having to have in their life, they're not learning a process that in adulthood. And you talk about that in the book, where they're moving from this teenage to their mid twenties, right? And that's a huge period of them learning to problem solve, learn how to plan things out, and make these decisions, and you know. Just kind of talking from what Nick's talking about the whole how we scar our kids, right? Like, how bad is it, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I think as our kids move from teenagers into adulthood, we we want to know how do we slowly like release this leash, let them have more of that problem solving, and like how much can they bear because. It is a tool that we need as adults, and if we don't have it, we're going to struggle, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. you talk about that research about kids, the parents handle them this way, and they're getting the planning and the problem-solving done, have much better outcomes into adulthood, right, versus the ones that don't. Um, what would you talk to what would you say to parents there uh, for how to approach that piece of uh, the puzzle
2: The letting go piece of things yeah not think about it so much as letting go so much as it's a shift in your relationship so some of this will happen really naturally like when your kids go off to college um if, or when they leave uh, they leave home like if if your relationship Obviously, it's going to change a ton, and if it shifts well and continues to be positive, you will still have a have a nice relationship with them. Like I talk to my kids who are, I have two kids in college, and they're I talk to them all the time, right? And um, and I have and when they're home, we have. I mean, it's great. It's so fun because they're actual adults, and well they're minute, we we call them miniature adults. They're trying to adult, right? Like they're, they're approaching adulting, you know, it's just so fun. It's so, um, it, it's really, really fun. It's really different than when I was tying their shoes and, um, you know, cleaning up their barf. <laughs> you know? Like it's just, it's, it's really different, but it's not like the, I think we have kind of the wrong metaphors with adolescence. It's like, it's not really about letting go of them. It's about letting go of our role as their primary caregiver and chief of staff. (laughs) You know, we Mm. have to let go of that and that's hard and we might feel sort of sad about that. And we have to, you know, grieve their physical, like the loss of like having a baby in a, in the house and having them when they leave, go to school, there's grief. that goes with that. It's not that we don't grieve, but then, but it's a shift. It's not like gone forever. They're, the relationship itself is not gone. It's just changed. It's just grown. And so sometimes I, I look at particularly my girls that are off at college, like they come back and they're so beautiful and, and somebody will say, don't you miss your babies? And only when I look at pictures, right? Because when I'm looking at the kid that's right in front of me, I'm like, that would be like saying to Rose, uh, you know, I miss you when you were a seedling. Like, mm-hmm. look at who you are now. It's so fabulous. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of like, that's all you're going for. So practically speaking, You don't tell them what to do as much, right? You don't make their appointments for them. You're not like giving them the blow by blow. Do you talk to them less? No, actually not necessarily. You just ask a lot more questions. You know, I find myself, as you can tell, I'm a real talker. And my goal at dinner time is to just try and be listening, right? And and asking questions because... At because during adolescence, like I want to hear what they have to say. I want to I want to talk less so that they can talk more. Mm. I love that.
1: Uh, you're saying such amazing um, things and, and giving such incredible tools for parents to 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 think about. And I, I'm just kind of going through and adding whatever I can to my my toolbox. And and there's definitely a core theme of just being present and showing up. Just without all the stressors not trying to mirror the the anxiety the the trauma whatever they're going through in the moment but just staying steady as a parent and it's such a beautiful important message. I I would love to hear a little bit on some of the like the peak behaviors maybe and how to sort of navigate some of them um, because as you as we said before every kid is a little bit different in their personalities. So if we can kind of walk through like Here's a kid that expresses himself through anger. Uh, here's a kid that expresses himself through anxiety or withdraws, uh, a kid more depressed. Um, is there a different strategy there uh, for, for those different types of emotions or how would, you, how would you engage that?
2: Yeah, I think so. sort of uh, always, as with littler kids, always reflecting what you're seeing. Um, in, in terms of emotions is really helpful. Um, bringing an acceptance and curiosity, no matter what they're feeling um, and, and sort of helping them label, like you seem angry a lot these days uh, and then immediately validating it. It's bringing me back. I remember when I was your age and I was angry a lot too, or that's understandable. I actually think you have a lot to be angry about or whatever it is, like help label it for them because I mean for teen in during adolescence and adolescence is a very long decade, right? So it starts when they're like nine or 10 for girls a few years before they hit puberty. And then it lasts as late as 26 or 25 or 26 uh, for boys on the, on the later end, but even girls, you know, 24, 25 is still solidly. When you look at the brain changes that are happening, um, that's, that's what, That's what I'm talking about here. And emotions tend to be extremely intense during those times. And just because they are completely and totally obviously to the entire neighborhood angry, they do not necessarily know much about that anger, right? We don't know if it's masking something else. They don't necessarily know if it's like if it stems from something like jealousy, which is in kind of feels angry, or -hmm. if it stems from something like frustration, the frustration of their goals, right? Like, so we can just help them no matter what it is that they are feeling, just seeing those emotions can, and bringing an acceptance and curiosity about that with it. So I get a lot of pushback from parents who are like, Why would I accept this bad behavior, right? And I'm like, no, it's not. We have to be really clear. There's a really big difference between accepting what they're feeling. We accept all emotions. All emotions are true. It's what they're going through. It's like accepting whatever the weather is today. You're not going to influence the weather by rejecting the weather, right? Like it is what it is. Same thing with emotions. All behavior is not necessarily okay. Right. So we can, we don't have to accept all behavior as appropriate. Right. We, we accept it as like, that's what you did. Like, we're going to go with reality here, but that's like, I don't have to say that that was appropriate or healthy or the best thing. Right. But helping them, helping them understand those, the difference between all emotions are okay. All behavior is not.
1: Mm Mm-hmm well yeah yeah i like that you said that because that also talks about the parenting paradigm because i'm just thinking back if i was doing something stupid when i was a kid it was a it was a spanking or some sort of physical violence <laughs> mm-hmm. some sort of like verbal you know you were you were definitely wrong here and and i remember being a little bit fearful of my dad growing up and yeah. and i remember feeling like i don't really want my kids to feel that way and my dad's an incredible human being and all that stuff i mean that old story where we all have to work on our trauma we're good parents are going to give it no matter what. Um, but th- this is a different parenting time. And it just kind of keeps coming back to that message that we have to do things differently. And it's interesting because you spoke to how your husband you know, is, is, is uh, 60 years old. So he, he would have gone through a different timeline. And all of this is so accepting in the way you're speaking to it. Because as parents, um, we may not, as you said, I love that you said this. You're not always going to be on the same page. We all grew up with different strategies, and uh, I think it's sort of just let's go with some of that guilt as a parent mm-hmm. to know that we don't have to be perfect. We do have to show up and do our best. And even us as as co-parenting, we're not always going to be on the same page. Like that's kind of refreshing to hear all those messages that you're sharing. So uh, I love that, uh, you know. And and we have kids. We're not we're not given the the ultimate guide to perfect parenting. <laughs> so conversations like this are so important. So I just I appreciate mean, everything you mean, the
2: new adolescence and raising happy well, pretty perfect guides to parenting. But I'm just kidding. You. Yeah, no. Well
1: good. Well you brought it up.
2: I mean. you brought it up.
1: Let's 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 talk about why every parent needs this guide. It's it's really, really important. So tell tell us a little bit more about the book.
2: Well, it's, it is, it is meant to be a guide. I mean, I, I, as I've said, I wrote it because I felt like I needed to have all in one place, like what to do when they're struggling, what to do when, you know, all the things about sex we have, we should talk about so that before they leave for college and when they're, when they're in sixth grade versus later. And, you know, so, um, it's broken into three parts. The first part is really foundational. It's sort of, Adolescence 101, these are the things that have always been true and always will be true and they're related to brain development and it has a lot of strategies for just sort of like, in general, how do you influence your adolescence? How do you make uh, the transition between, from micromanaging them or just managing them to being more of a consultant? And then the second part are the three core skills that I think all of us, no matter what our age are, um, need to develop in order to thrive and there are three skills that teenagers in particular today are not developing and they really need to develop to be um, healthy so um, that those those three skills are focused the ability to do deep work and resist all the distractions that are around them um, connection with real live people, we're seeing some real deficiencies in social skills and social connections. And um, even though these kids seem to be fantastically connected to one another through uh, social media and their smartphones and things like that, um, they're, they're actually suffering from... A lot of the depression we're seeing comes from a sense of isolation and loneliness. Um, and the last one is rest right? Mm -hmm. These kids are not getting enough sleep. They're really, really overstimulated and they're not taking breaks during the day. You know, our childhoods were full of like staring out the car window, waiting on the curb for my mom Mm -hmm. doing, you know, (laughs) like it was just like a lot of staring into space. And it turns out from a neuroscience standpoint, we now understand why all that staring into space is really important for brain development and what happens when kids don't get it. Mm. I love that. oh and then the third part is like all the talking points so it's like a guide to talking to them about sex about drugs and alcohol and about money
1: amazing this book
0: should be the guide to the new adolescence because honestly as you're speaking about it, i'm thinking about when i was reading through it and it literally is like you know, i was i was poking fun at you earlier but you give these scenarios to all the parents so that like they're armed for when this is approaching kind of deal and it's just good. I think every parent needs to look through this and just kind of get uh, a process that they can kind of use as, as that, like you're saying, it's just a guide to lead them through down this path. And it's not going to be perfect. You're, you're not going to do perfect all the time, like you're saying, but just be engaged and have a plan of going into these years. Cause they're so, they're so important. I remember being a teenager and, I, and I'm sure you both do. And, and it, it's, it's an interesting time in our lives. It sure is, and if 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 our parents, I think, you know, right? That way they've all done their best, but again, <laughs> if we could do better as parents, I think we're going to make it just a little bit better for our kids on that journey.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly have more information than our parents did, and when we know more and we know better, we can we have the tools we need to do better. So we but, don't need to be afraid, like. That's because our parents didn't do it right. <laughs> my as parents you were said uh, that, they like is... listened to all my podcasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mom and Dad, you were perfect. <laughs> as, you, as you
0: said that, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, like, what did my parents have aside from libraries? There was no internet. They had Encyclopedia Britannica. Salesmen show up to the house. So yeah, I mean, they didn't. No, they have had their
2: neighbors, this. and they had their right.
0: Books. Yeah. So and yeah, Yeah, well, absolutely right. I mean, you got to do your homework as parents, because I think that's just part of the job, right?
2: Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I the love. Job. I love that you're speaking to that that place of boredom, and that meditative mind essentially that we didn't know that we were developing as kids, not having all the technology and everything around us, and it being one of the missing pieces to that. That sort of ties into that feeling of connectedness because when we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for more for connection and and we're not finding it and we, we can actually develop or we're we're lacking the development in the world that we live in uh, to be in that place of boredom and and find uh, another aspect of ourselves that we start to fall in love with. And wow, like, yeah, that's part of the modern dilemma. You know, it's part of the modern dilemma with all these emotional traumas that people go through is that they haven't really developed that sense of self love and recovery. So I love that you're speaking to that. That's, that's a beautiful place for, I think even all parents to think about how can I instill the values of self-love and, and the meditative mind in, the, in that place of just peace and, uh, you know, like boredom essentially, which is, which is totally. a beautiful, beautiful Stillness, place to be. Right. Yeah, like
2: providing totally. places of times and places every day that the kid that kids have the potential to be bored. Right. Mm-hmm. Because then, well, as human beings, we tend to do is we tend to turn our attention inward. If there's no external stimulation, mm-hmm. right, then we turn to t- we tend to turn our attention inward, and when we do that, really important things happen.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of my six-year-old. Whenever he's bored, he's like, "Dad, I'm bored," and I'm like, "Good. It's good to be bored." I was like, "Just sit in it for a while." I was like, "You'll have fun in a little while." And it's funny because they do, they quiet down. Well, sometimes they quiet down and then they they kind of chill out. But you see that contemplation, they'll just be staring out the window or whatever. And they're like, you're saying, they're tapping into that inner peace and so, so vital. You know, I, you don't, I don't have kids and you know, that are dealing with the cell phones and all that stuff yet. And all this nonstop using that second brain, but um, golly, like we didn't have to live with that. Right. I mean, it was just a normal part of, of our development of just being in that calmness. Yeah. Um, And our kids don't have it.
2: They can, they can, can. we have to, it's a skill, right. That now they need to, it came to us naturally when we, we probably railed against it a little. Right. And now they'll rail against it. Right. You take their devices away and they, they go ballistic. But But then, you know, like I have kids who are like, really into nature and now, not all of them, but, you know, meditators and whatever, Mm -hmm. like the ones that initially resisted the most are now they, you know, it feels good, right? It becomes a important part of their development and they know it. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I would, so what I would say is begin with yourself first. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It has we have to mirror it somehow so I totally agree with that yeah. is is there is there another theme in your book that uh, that you feel I mean obviously there's there's a whole lot to your book that we haven't dove into but is there is there a message or a theme to your book that you feel like listeners that you'd really like listeners to to, to hear more about
2: you can do it <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly what I need to hear <laughs> No, I mean, really. I so somebody picked up my book, and another mom, and she's a really good mom, and she has, um, and she has one kid who tends towards anxiety, but I wouldn't say is super anxious. And she looked at it, and she's like, "Oh my god, I can't read this because it's just too scary. The whole thing is just too scary. What I don't want to know what they're even dealing with." And I, so this is really speaking. Like, if you're feeling avoidant like that, it's not like we. Uh, yes, kids are very anxious and struggling with depression, and you're gonna, you know, we see all these statistics about mental health crises and all kinds of things. Those things are happening. We shouldn't turn away from them because all of our kids will be affected by them. All of them because either they're close friends or it's just the the air that they're breathing right now. And we understand why we understand what's going on. And it is not like really esoteric science. This is the science of the blazingly obvious. If your kid does not get enough sleep, then Mm -hmm. they will really struggle in a lot of ways. Like we understand this and we aren't as parents necessarily doing what we know to do because we don't feel as empowered. We feel like our teenagers are way out ahead of us in a lot of this stuff. And that doesn't mean that they don't need to be parented and that this is like, too big to tackle it's not too big to tackle it's really fun to tackle it's really i think parenting today has the potential to be a lot more fun because the because the kids are out ahead of us on these things so um you know instead of me trying to control my kids social media use for example they are trying to over thanksgiving they, the my three girls um said all right mom we're gonna have a meeting like we're gonna have a big talk And I was like, oh, boy, okay. I thought they were going to reveal something about one of them because one of them was much more shifty than the others. And I was like, what is happening? They're like, we need to talk to you about your Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't really do Instagram. They're like, we know.
1: Yeah, we noticed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somebody else is doing it for you. It's horrible. Uh. I think my Instagram account's
1: better now. Uh, that's that's some amazingly constructive feedback that only uh, lo- only a kid growing up in this day and age would be able to give to their parent. That's amazing. Know,
2: it's so fun. It's yeah. so fun, right? Wow. I did get to slip in a little bit about we we ended up looking at their all of their accounts really closely too, and I I definitely got to ask a lot of questions. Not judge them. Not tell them what I you know think about it. Not tell them what I'm worried about. But you know, I did ask some questions, like whoo, you sure look sexy on Halloween." What were you what, like? <laughs> tell me a little bit about. <laughs> tell me a little bit about like the reaction that post generated, right? Oh, I like, love it. That, you know,
1: I love how you question that because a protective parent, you know, in the in the mindset train that we've we've all grown up in, it's like, how dare you do this? It's shame based parenting, not question based. And what a, what a refreshing way to parent. It just kind of gets them to, to answer their own question, right. Or answer the question for you. That's, that's beautiful. Um, I was, uh, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, you know, uh, there's so many different parents out there, so many different styles of parenting and you're giving such a unified message for parents. And so I'm, I'm seeing how this, this is, this book is important for parents in, in our range of children to read now so that we know like sort of how to yeah. like support them it's this isn't just if you've got a teenager now we need to read this you know at least in the adolescent years so we can start just mold them so can you kind of speak to like how it how it sort of crosses uh, age groups for for different parents
2: well i think that the middle section of this book is really essential to um, for parents of any age, uh, or any age kids to read. And so th- these core skills we need to develop in ourselves mm-hmm. um, as well. And, um, and, and, and uh, you know, all, even little kids need to learn how to focus. They ne- need to learn the social skills related to connection that will serve them better, you know, later. So, um, so that's ageless. Right, and um, a lot of the tactics um, will work with kids of any age. They're like practical tips too. Yeah. Um, I think the back end, the talking points around um, sex, drugs, and alcohol are uh, and money are also really important for littler kids. Now I'm talking to myself. into I guess if you have an infant, you don't need to read that. <laughs> <There> <laughs> but you probably know, yet. like. So there, you know, when I was growing up, there was like one sex talk. It didn't go very well. I didn't understand it. And then my parents checked it off the list, right? And now it's like, okay, you need to have like 1,000 super short sex talks and you need to sort of understand like the way things are being talked about now. I mean, everything, if you have a five-year-old and you're reading about um, what to talk about Talk to them about sex when they're teenagers. Now everything will be different. The way we're living in this accelerated change, but I think it is important to be out in in front of it all. And then um, the the first part about adolescence is a lot of um, there are a lot of tips for being less controlling as a parent. So if your kids are not adolescents yet, the um, the thing to be practicing is the mirroring I talk about, kind of motivational interviewing, the um, being a more authoritative, authoritative parent, right? So being both warm and providing structure, but not being controlling
1: hmm.
2: is, I mean, the, the research there is for kids of any age. By the way, they also really work on your spouse.
1: <laughs> Amazing. It's good to know.
2: <laughs> my wife cannot
1: listen to this podcast then. <laughs> She'll know my tricks. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I, I'm just thinking of, I can't wait for my wife to listen to this podcast. Um, you've, you've dropped so many nuggets. And and I love how you even brought in, you know, the, the importance of sleep, just the simplicity. there. I mean, that's something Dr. David and I, and my wife and, and his wife uh, do for children all the time is, you know, let's, let's look at your diet. Let's look at all the triggers in your life. Are you getting to sleep on time? Are you spending enough time being active and all those things? Because there's so many different ways to support our children. Uh, and, you know, often we put the blame on them for like, oh, they're not, Picking up their socks or whatever, whatever the issue is, but you know that that uh, idea of mirroring and all these things. So we would love for you to share some home play, uh, which we call uh, for parents to dive into. Obviously, step one is you got to get the book. There's there's no question. Every parent needs to dive into this information. Uh, I mean, what you're sharing is phenomenal. So get the book. is Step one. What's the very next things that uh, their parents can start to do uh, for themselves to support their children?
2: I think think about what you, what you need to change around your device use yourself first. Mm. So one of the things that our kids need the most support and structure around is device use using the iPad or the like tablets and smartphones and social media and all that kind of stuff. And we are much more credible in our parenting when we are not hypocritical so carving out time and space in your own life to not be on your phone right meal times time in the car right like think thinking about um where you're gonna stare out the window yourself um and give yourself that space yourself is the i think that that's the first place to practice because kids are much more likely to do what we are doing ourselves versus what we are telling them to do, but doing something different.
0: Mm-hmm. Great right. advice. Don't be a hypocrite.
2: Don't, don't be such a turn hypocrite. <laughs> you know, we all struggle, right? With oh, no, but it's, it's like, true. It's we, absolutely true. Especially with teenagers. Well, like, you know, I am like a sounding board <laughs> for parents complaining about their teenagers. They're like, Oh, you won't look up from the damn screen. I'm like, Hey, could you make eye contact while you complain about that with me? <laughs>
1: <Nice>. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, speaking of Instagram accounts and, uh, that have been recently refurbished, apparently, <laughs> um, what, are, what are all the ways that people can connect with you? Uh, and obviously, where can they get the book? And if you can, if you, the website, all that stuff, if you can sort of share all that. And we're, and we're going to put in the show notes for everybody as well.
2: Okay, that's really good because I'm like, ooh, I don't even know what my Instagram name is. (laughs) Uh, I think it's Christine Carter PhD. But my website is christinecarter.com, my name. That I'm positive is right. And you should be able to get the book wherever. You know, there's a link on my um, website, but uh, hopefully it will be available in your favorite bookstore or um, anywhere Mm -hmm. online. And I'm also... Theoretically, on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all the places.
1: (laughs) I love you said theoretically. That's awesome.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I go there sometimes. (laughs) If you ask me a question, I love coaching people, and I actually think social media is a great place to do that because then everybody gets to listen. So if you ask me a question on social media, I will answer it there because I get a little email that tells me.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Christine, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun and we had a great time and and thank you for sharing some knowledge. I feel a little bit better about, uh, uh, being a better parent now all of a sudden. Right. So,
2: Well, I had tons of fun too. You guys are great. This is a fun (laughs) podcast.
1: Well, we'll be sure to uh, to share uh, on social media with you. Let's see if you can figure out how to share it to Facebook and all those other things. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, still, I'm, still I'm still learning, too. I'm still learning, yeah. too. Oh, okay, there you go.
2: <laughs> no, that we can do. <laughs> oh, good,
1: good. Well, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, and I hope that, that parents realize that this, this resonates deep for us all and we can all take action the book, start practicing uh, what we call living it to lead it, or uh, marrying more effectively for our children. So, uh, so much information here. So, so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Christine.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast,
0: please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow
1: and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.